0: upfront stuff, and we had a last-minute change in who was going to be leading worship today. So all the songs changed in, like, the 10 minutes before service started or something ridiculous like that. And so she scrambled and hustled and created new slides uh, in the last second, which, if you know my wife, she likes pinned down in advance, which I think means that she did something horrible as a child because she married me, and I am the aunt anti pin down. Uh we are exactly the opposite. Uh and so, yeah. The the wording may have been a little off, and if so, uh she would like to blame TJ. And um, <laughs> that was a little <laughs> it's uh yeah. So uh little kids head on down to children's church and I will lead us in prayer. We will uh launch into the text today. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. I pray that you would uh, be with me, help me to um, just unpack the text, uh, help me to to uh, preach the word faithfully, help me to point over and over again to your son, to the gospel. Help help us to to look to you and know you more. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of your words today and that the folks who are here would hear from you, that they would uh, encounter you in an intimate and, and personal way; that they would know you more, and even more so, Lord, that the gospel would penetrate their heart and change every one of them to be more and more like you, in Christ's name. I pray. Amen. I uh, so I've been on vacation, and I I'm in uh, scattered mode because generally what I've tried to do is get all of the video and all of the stuff set up on Friday. So I have to think about it on Saturday or Sunday morning. And, and I did not get that stuff done. And so I've been running around plugging things in and trying to fix audio problems and trying to figure out why cameras aren't working and everything else. And so I'm a little scattered this morning and I, I hopefully will be able to reel it in. But that is a long way of saying I need a cup of coffee really badly. Uh, and if I, somebody would please grab me a cup of coffee and run it in here. Thank you, honey. I appreciate it. Um, I, thank you. Um, so... Uh diving into the text today, before we get there, has anybody uh, seen the movie Soul Survivor or Lone Survivor? Which which one is it? Lone Survivor? It's uh, actually a really interesting movie. The book is phenomenal, and I cannot recommend the book more highly. The movie's okay um, compared to the book, but the movie's pretty good. It is a uh, true life story uh, following a gentleman by the name of Marcus Luttrell, who is a Navy SEAL was leading a SEAL team in Afghanistan. And they were uh, in the mountains, and they were hidden, and they were on assignment. And they were accidentally, like they had a group of of gentlemen who were herding goats, come across them as they were hiding. And they captured these guys and discussed what to do. And they discussed executing them or leaving them tied up. And in the end, they said, well, if we leave them tied up, they might die. If we kill them, they might die. Or they will be dead, and that would be immoral. Uh, <sighs> vacation um and so they made this decision to release them and run away because they knew that the moment these guys got back home that Taliban soldiers would come looking for them and so they released them and they ran and they were overtaken by Taliban soldiers as they were fleeing through the mountains and all of the guys on the SEAL team except for Marcus Luttrell were killed uh, and there were efforts made by the Navy SEALs to rescue them. Uh, a Chinook helicopter was shot down in the process. There was the largest number of special operatives that were ever killed in a single day, like like on America, or uh, Wilson's well, special operators came into existence. It is a very exciting story, but the reason I'm sharing it is because there is a crazy thing that happens about a little over halfway through the story, thank you, Dearest, um, where... Uh, Marcus Luttrell has broken his back. He literally, like, crushed several vertebrae, and he's dragging himself down the side of a mountain, and he encounters a guy who's like a tribal leader, and the guy takes him in to his home. And from that point on, the story changes where these guys are hiding and harboring this American soldier, and they've got... Um, they've got Taliban soldiers threatening to kill them and attacking the village, and they defended them. And over and over and over again, this village, um, they protected this complete stranger. And they fed him, and they gave him stuff to drink, and they gave him medicine as best they could. They took him into the mountains and hid him in a cave eventually and kept going up to take care of him. And then eventually, one of the most prominent men in the village who was a tribal leader, um, took a letter And was going to deliver it across the mountains, like went out as old man hikes across the mountains by himself to deliver a letter to like an American base, letting them know that they have this soldier they need to come rescue. And I mean, this is not like a one day thing or a two day thing. This took place over a long period of time. Um, The village ultimately, they, they paid a heavy, heavy price for harboring this Navy SEAL. Like, people were killed. They suffered hardship. It was a very difficult thing. And I was reading this morning that they have said over and over again that they would do it again. Because there is this thing called hospitality. Now, when you talk about hospitality, I think, you know, you can sit in a nice chair when you visit my house. Right? If you visit my house, I'm going to forget to offer you a drink. But if you come more than once, you can get one yourself. Right? And that's the way it is. Like, hospitality is... Offering like a welcome and a handshake. And it's actually something I think this church is really good about. I believe we are. I want us to be great about it. But culturally, in the ancient world, and still today with Oriental cultures, okay, cannot emphasize this enough, still today, hospitality is enormous. And it is so enormous. If you walk into like a shop in the Middle East, they will meet you at the door with a cup of tea. No kidding. Or coffee, which is usually better. They have the best coffee I've ever had. Um, I went into a hotel in Jordan, and they had a coffee pot with an open flame where they're roasting coffee beans. And I sat down, and I drank coffee. Like, they gave you their their little shot glass of coffee, and I drank it. And I was like, that was so good. I've been in a bus all day. I want more coffee. I sat down, and I started pouring myself coffee and drinking coffee from the pot the bellhop got dressed down by the manager when he saw me doing it because it was considered to be extremely poor hospitality. And that bellhop followed me around. The other thing I learned was you're only supposed to take three cups at the most, and everything else is considered very gauche, and I drank about 12. Uh, and they still treated me like I was walking on water. It was incredible because if you come into my house in the Middle East, there is, like, cultural implications, and they play into... Last time I was here, I preached on Mark, right, Mark 2, and the calling of Matthew. And I was reading about this this week, and I was like, man, if I don't go back and touch base with this idea, I'm missing something huge. And so we're going to dig back into the calling of Matthew just a little bit this week. It also coincides with a big meal that happens this week. Um, you know, I think there's a football game or something, and everybody eats a lot of junk food with it or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, but the idea is, in the Middle East, in that part of the world, from... Ancient, like as far back as, you know, the 7th, 8th century B.C., up until today, this is a set-in-stone religious obligation. Got it? So much so that, like, when you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, right? Like, they're destroyed because, obviously, there was some really gross stuff happening, right? That's one of the reasons, but mentioned at the same time is the fact that they were inhospitable. They treated Strangers aggressively and dangerously, I think both are true like to mistreat people that were strangers in that culture is is the most humiliating and awful thing you could do and so what happens between Jesus and Matthew is enormous, and it 's easy to miss because like we have people over to eat all the, well some of us have people over to eat all the time i don 't My house is a mess um, but we 're going to talk about this idea of eating in peace and eating with the prince of peace, like this idea that um, when we do things like communion, which we did last time I was here, or when we do things like breaking bread with each other or what have you, we are replicating this great, beautiful, amazing religious tradition. And if we understand it, it brings something brand new and like like, powerful into our lives. So uh, a little background. Mark is actually Peter's gospel. It was not written by Peter by hand. Mark wrote it. Peter had been preaching all over, like Rome and the rest of the world, and Mark was sort of this guy who came along and said, I'm going to write all this down. And there are records of Peter approving this book and interacting and all this, but it is basically Peter's preaching note. Um, it is, last week we talked about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, and Jesus walks up and calls him to be his follower. Tax collectors, at the time, were considered on the same level as murderers. Got it? They, if you were a tax collector and you witnessed a murder, you could not testify about it in court because your job made it so nobody would believe you anyway. You were not allowed to testify in court. It was religiously acceptable to lie to tax collectors if you were a Jew. That's how much they hated you. You are the bottom rung, and actually your family is humiliated by the fact that you're a tax collector. And their social status is lowered. These guys are human garbage at the time, right? Right? Like, in that culture, everybody hated these guys. Um, what happens is Jesus approaches this man who is a tax collector. He is a race traitor. He is a, like, like traitor against God himself that everybody hates. If he touches your house, your house is ritualistically unclean, and you have to have a Levite come over and clean it for you. Like Like, even if he just touches the door on the way past, like, he is garbage. Jesus walks up to this man who everybody hates and says... Follow me. He picks out this guy who nobody wants anything to do with, who is considered to be as immoral as possible, and he says, you are going to be one of my guys, and I'm going to teach you how to be the person God designed you to be. And eventually, Jesus would die for this guy. Like, it is huge. And, like, that's undeserved grace. It is, it's almost, it is indescribable the distance that Christ goes to show love and forgiveness to Matthew. Culturally, it's easy to miss the second half of this. But here's the text that's related to, so you know it. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So this is basically Levi has now become a disciple. It is this paragraph alone, any Jewish reader is going to read it, and and their jaw is going to drop. Right? Like, what? What? Now we're going to go on from there. Uh, A couple things on meals in the ancient world. I told you hospitality is religious for them. So let's dig into this idea. Because this is what I learned this week. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. How did I miss this? First off, ancient Jewish meals, they were this huge production. It would take a team of people several hours to prepare the one big meal a day you would eat. Right? It was a production. It was a huge thing. And the more I learn about ancient Judaism the more I really dig it because they love to eat. Like they ate a lot and they made huge productions out of eating and it was really awesome. Right. And like everything was savored. It's not like, like we love to eat. Right. I had a period of time when I got up to almost 250 pounds and I, I love to eat, but you know what I ate? Mostly garbage. I ate, you know, like like buffet food, because you could eat as much as you wanted. It didn't taste good, but it was cheap, and you got as much of it as you wanted, right? Or you know, fast food, like McDonald's. I'm and McDonald's specifically. It's just not that good. Everything tastes the same, right? But it's cheap, and it's sort of satisfying. Um, they would eat the most. Just elaborate meals, and they loved it. And like eating was this big production; it was huge cultural significance. You would have specific types of discussions and arguments, and prayers and everything else. It was a big to do. Um, a big part of Sabbath was having a feast together, right? Like I always heard about Sabbath being awful, like don't do anything, be miserable and bored, and don't move, don't make your bed, which is kind of good. But like when they would do Sabbath, they'd have a giant meal, and it was awesome. Um, so, like, it was big cultural production, big religious production. Um, the basic element of hospitality is huge. It was huge. If you entered into a house, and this is what happened to Marcus Luttrell, the rule was, if you're in my house, I will sacrifice my whole family to protect you. Understand? Like, um, it was, a, it's a common practice today. If you go to an Arab's home, they will send a child out to meet you. And from the moment that child meets you, you're a part of the family until the moment you leave. Got it? And, like, they have to fight to protect you, which is what they did with Marcus Luttrell. Um, they were literally protecting him at the risk of their own lives because that was the religious value. That was the same for Jews. You protected people who were under your roof. The story of uh, Lot and the angels and his daughters... These guys show up and demand the, the strangers be passed out, and, like, Lot's of response is kind of crazy, but it's that degree of protection. If you don't know it, look it up. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get into it. With a bunch of kids in the room. Um, it's, like, kind of messed up, but, like, the amount you were supposed to protect guests on your roof was ridiculous, and he was willing to sacrifice his daughters to protect guests because that was what was expected. Huge cultural value. Um, meals created boundaries in societies, and they established and reinforced honor hierarchies. So everything in that part of the world is about how much honor you have. Got it? So if everybody honors you, you might be poor, but it's great, right? Um, and so, like, there's all kinds of teachings related to boundaries and honor. When Jesus goes to the house of Matthew and eats, Matthew would never be invited to a meal, ever, because Matthew's not a part of the community. He's not welcome. When Jesus is eating with a Pharisee, and I believe it's a prostitute, comes and washes his feet, um, like, there's this whole conversation about, like, what kind of person is this? How would he ever talk to her? How would, you know, all of this stuff? And Jesus responds by saying, she's offering me better hospitality by washing my feet. You didn't offer me anything to wash my feet, which was a custom at the time. Like, If you were not, like, if you were invited to a meal, you were in. If you were not in, nobody had you to their house. Nobody invited you to anything. You were on the outside. It's like me in high school. Everybody got it? Wow, that was rough. I thought that would be funnier. (laughs) The other thing is, when you would have people over, you would set them in order of their honor. And that's why Jesus said, if you're invited to someone's house, take a lowly seat, because... If somebody comes along and says, hey, move yourself up, you're a much higher position than to sit in the corner like that, then it's good for you. If somebody comes along and says, hey, move over there, you loser, that's a problem. Got it? So, like, they would seat you according to honor. And if you sat in the wrong place or if somebody tried to usurp, like, it was a big cultural weight. Like, it was a big deal. Um, Worse than a junior high lunchroom table. Um, And so eating with people was considered to be sort of a seal of approval which is what the Pharisees are really ticked off about, about Jesus eating with Matthew, is because he is putting his seal of approval on them. Um, He's saying, these guys are in, and they're with me. Right? I approve of how they live. Not a small thing. Not at all, actually, right? Like when you consider that these guys are on the level of murderers, it's not a small thing. Here is the final bit, and this is what I'm really driving at. Finally, meals were used... To establish peace and reconciliation. If you set a covenant, which is like a contract, you would eat a meal together afterwards as a way of saying, we are in community. That's why wedding feasts were a huge deal. If you got married in the ancient world, the wedding feast lasted a week. A week. Everybody would stay at your house and party for a week because they were celebrating the fact that your families are now joined and you're one you've created a contract a covenant between you it it was enormous um how they would do this it was actually on feast days it was considered Ill, like it was illegal religiously illegal for Jews to mourn on feast day so like if your spouse died and it was on a feast day you couldn't start mourning until the next day Or if it was the next day, you had to stop mourning until you were done. Because they were a huge deal. Now, we're going to dig into this. So here are some of these ideas presented in the Old Testament. I'm getting there. Don't worry. There's a point. Okay? Um, Psalm 23. We all know this one, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. What David is saying, right? Like this is, lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's talking about all these things. and He says, listen, even if I'm surrounded by bloodthirsty killers who want my head, I'll sit at your table and you will protect me. Because if you can eat a meal with God, God is saying, I'm on your team and you have my protection. You have my approval. You are part of my group. Um, Then Laban. So this is Laban and Jacob. Jacob, Jacob means bent, right? Like, which basically means liar. Jacob stole his brother's birthright. He stole it. And then he ran away because his brother wanted to kill him. And he went and he worked for Laban because he fell in love with Laban's daughter. And he works for seven years. And Laban tricks him into marrying the ugly daughter. That's the story. I didn't just say that. I'm not horrible. That's what the story says. And he agrees to work for seven more years in exchange for marrying the good daughter And so he works with this guy for 14 years and in the process manages to take possession of all of his father-in-law's stuff. He makes payment deals that work out for himself and he walks away rich. And all of the brother-in-laws are like, dude, that Jacob guy is ripping us off. We're going to be homeless by the time he's done. And Jacob hears about it. He packs everything up and he runs away because he knows Laban and the brothers are going to kill him. Laban says, oh, no, you didn't. And he goes chasing after him. And Jacob makes his best effort to get away because he's going to die. And Laban overtakes him. And they have a sit-down and a discussion. And then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the, da- the daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters and for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant you and i let us let it be witness between you and me and so they argue and they fight and they debate and eventually what Laban says is all right fine these are my daughters but they're your wives those are my grandkids but they're your kids and so we're going to make a contract and they do this big grand religious ceremony and they finished it the god of Abraham and the son and the god of Nahor the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the, by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called all his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country early in the morning. Laban rose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and then Laban departed for home. So what happens is they argue and they fight and they disagree, and eventually Laban says, fine, but you can't just walk away. We're part of each other. And so they have a contract and they have a meal because the meal is sealing the contract. When you get a new cell phone, what do you have to do? You have to suffer through paperwork And that weird person in the cell phone store signing you up and doing all that weird extra work, right? Like, and it's annoying and it's awful and you hate it. But when they're done, you get a cell phone. In this world, you would do all of that stuff and then you would sit down and you would eat a feast together. Which would be way better if cell phone stores had snacks. Um, Another example we find in Exodus 24. um, There are two places where the Ten Commandments are stated in the Bible. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 Exodus 20 and on is basically the story of God's contract with the Jewish people. Everybody got that? And so right before Moses goes and gets the replacement tablets for the ones that he smashed because he got mad, then Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and my Hebrew is awful, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw God of Israel and there was under his foot Under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire and stones, like the very heavens for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief of men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. And that's kind of weird, but what happens is they go up the mountain and they encounter God. Well, I thought nobody could see God and live. This is not God the Father. This is Jesus. This is the pre incarnate Son. It's an example of Jesus showing up and being a mediator between God and men. Right, And so they have this meal with Christ. And then the next thing they do is they receive the covenant, the contract. Because the meal is God's way of saying, we're together, we're at peace, we're family, you're on my team, I'm on your team, I will protect you, we're one. That's cool, isn't it? Now, we go to Mark. Oh, my gosh, it took him, like, 50 minutes to get to the verse, or 30. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's home, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teacher of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Love that passage. First off, this is a scandal. Everybody with me? This is, Pastor got caught sitting with the local uh, women of ill repute for a meal. I'm trying. (laughs) You know, lots of kids in the room. Uh, This is, um, oh, my gosh, can you believe they had the local drug addicts over to their house for food? Right? Can you believe that that guy showed up to church? I'm pretty sure lightning should have struck him. Um, Jesus' calling of Matthew was scandalous on its own because it showed him grace. It showed him God's favor and his love that he could not earn and did not deserve, period. But the scandal of this act is multiplied and put on public display when he eats a meal at Matthew's house. Because he's gone beyond, you can follow me and learn to, I'm on your team, I have your protection, or you have my protection, I place you under my care, I... Have made peace with you. We are in contract together. The statement made by just eating this meal with him in the Jewish culture is so huge. It's ridiculous. It's so huge that everybody in town would have been talking about it. Um, And these small. I know nobody here knows what it's like in a small town. But this is a town of like a thousand people. Right. And so everybody knows about it before they've served the first like like part of the meal. Right? It would have been a huge production to have the meal because you would have invited all the neighbors, such as they were, because nobody's coming to Matthew's house. Um, he's awful. Um, but everybody knows, and Jesus does this very, very, very publicly. And what he's doing is he's establishing peace between these men who everybody says is garbage and God himself. That's actually what communion is. It is the meal where we eat and we remember that Christ died for us, that we cannot earn our way into heaven, that we cannot behave good enough and bake sale enough and give enough and show up to enough classes and do all of these other things for God to love us. God loves us because he loves us, and Christ died for us to make us acceptable to him. And that is all of heaven. That is all of eternity is just the gift that we receive because Christ died for us. He will come and eat this meal with us when we are horrible when we are at our worst, when he has nothing to gain from the deal and we have nothing to offer. He establishes peace with these men. John pointed out, and I was going to try and get whoever led worship to do the song for me, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because like when Isaiah predicts the coming of Christ, he says, you know, you will call him Emmanuel for God is with us. And these guys, these garbage people, ate lunch with God. And the meal isn't just a meal. It is, I declare you guys on my team. I declare you my friends. I declare you my people. No wonder the Pharisees are angry. No wonder Christians had such a hard time early on. Because people would look at them and say, you're breaking the social order. And you're giving honor to dishonorable people. But... It's Christ's honor, and it's Christ's love. And ultimately, God's kingdom's social order is more valuable than anything this world has for us, right? And finally, he was living out the words of Isaiah. Watch this. Oh, my gosh, I love this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples... A feast of rich foods, a feast of well-aged wine, a feast of food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. By the way, full of marrow, this is gross. They would roast animal bones like with the food, right, like you cook a turkey. And they would break open the bones and eat the marrow. And it was considered to be the best part. I, I saw at least one person nodding. I'm sorry, you're wrong. It's gross. But like ancient Jews, this is the best part of the meal. And it's part of the reason, by the way, you weren't allowed to break the bones of certain sacrifices because Christ's bones would never be broken. And like, like certain sacrifices are represented here, after certain sacrifices, the peace offerings is what they were called, you would eat the sacrifice. It was the only time you were allowed to eat the sacrifice because you were making peace between you and God. And it seems like about two weeks ago we talked about this, right? Three weeks ago, Yom Kippur. Was it two? I don't know. Yom Kippur is like where we make peace or where the Jewish people make peace between themselves and God. Christ is that lamb that is offered with no broken bones, with no broken anything that makes peace between us and God. And here we have Christ having this meal, making peace with the best of foods, right? And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people. The veil that is spread over all nations. By the way, that veil is sin and death. And Christ swallows it all up. And so, these guys who've invited him over for dinner, Christ is there not only to declare peace, but because he is going to consume the garbage that is drowning them. He's going to take it on himself and suffer in their place. Holy wow! He will swallow up death forever and the lord god will wipe away tears from all faces and reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Again, this is all about Jesus, right? He swallows death. He goes into the grave. He's resurrected. He wipes away our tears and gives us hope, gives us peace with God. He eats meals with us. It is amazing. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what's going on with Matthew. Isn't that incredible? And like, I'm not a Jew. I'm not, sorry. I'm definitely not a first century Jew. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't know Jewish culture. I don't know anything. I don't know these things. But Mark included this stuff on purpose because every reader would have said, oh my gosh, look, what's happening here? That's huge. Another spot, or actually this is the end of this line here. Those whom I love, oh, sorry, this is Revelation. I forgot to change the text. Now, based on this Reality that has changed this God is inviting the lost and the broken and the sick to himself to heal their souls to heal their Everything he is bringing them into himself and making them family and declaring peace and offering his protection and offering his grace and doing all this other stuff Like in light of that what jewish christians started to do and what gentile christians started to do is they would eat meals with everyone And it was this crazy cultural thing. Paul writes about it a lot. He's like, look, I know there's fighting about this. Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. So I had to reprimand him. And he started doing it. Why? Because the Gentiles are acceptable to God now. Non-Jewish people are acceptable to God. We eat with sinners now because we can show sinners Christ through our love. Um, They would be invited to eat with non-Jewish people. And Jewish people are strict about what they eat. And Paul said, look go there and eat whatever's put in front of you if you find out you can't eat it because of like it violates food codes just don't eat it but otherwise don't worry about it like if they tell you oh my gosh this is sacrifice to molech don't eat it right but molech's nothing and it's just food don't worry about it otherwise like paul makes this big deal out of eat food with people who are unacceptable isn't that crazy People look at the church, they look at Christians, and often they look at us, number one, as being holier than thou and judgy. But if you dig into what the scriptures are really about, how Christ broke the culture around him, how he changed the order of things, the worst, the worst are given the opportunity to be saved. This is where, this is Revelation actually, it's uh, Revelation 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Most of us have heard this, right? You've seen that painting of Jesus, like with the little candle and knocking on the door. Church of God Anderson, which is our organization, owns that painting. We own the rights to it. So I can say this without paying a royalty. Uh, (laughs) um, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. For us, it's like, oh, well, I could have him over for a meal. What he's saying is, open the door to me and you're on my team. Open the door and we're at peace. Open the door and I will go as far as the cross to save you. Even if you hate me, I'll die for you. Even if you are cursing me, I will die for you and and redeem you. All you have to do is open the door and let me in. It is Thanksgiving week. It is the week. This is not the purpose of this week, right? Like, we th- we're thanking God for the abundance and everything else. But if we're going to stop and we're going to think about, like, what meals really meant scripturally and what, like, the weight of it is, like, you know, I know it's supposed to harvest meal and all this other stuff, but, like, guys, we are the harvest. And if you're going to be thankful for anything, be thankful that God loves you even when you're horrible. You know that stuff you think about when you lay in bed at night and your brain won't shut up, Right? Christ knows that and still died for you. You cannot out sin his grace. You cannot be Matthew times 100 and still be so God, bad God won't love you. Even if you struggle to figure out how to do your faith correctly, he loves you. And so if you're going to say thank you for anything this Thanksgiving, we live in a country with enormous wealth. We live in a time of great blessing. We have families. We have people that come over. We have the opportunity to eat like whatever Thanksgiving food we're deciding to eat. But if you're going to say thank you for anything, say thank you that you can be at peace with God. Invite him to sit at the table with you. And the feast will be properly complete, I guess. Let's close in prayer and I'll let you go. I know I'm a little long. I don't care. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds this week that we would that we would be genuinely thankful that when we were when we were Matthew, when we said the wrong thing and did the dumb thing and chased after something we thought would make us happy, that you loved us anyway when we had difficulty putting down bitterness or resentment or anger or whatever and we just wanted to hold on to it that you loved us anyway thank you for being the god of second chances thank you for being the god who loves us to the point of scandal to the point of ostentatious like gifting of grace thank you for being that god and as we eat our meals this week thank you for the blessings you give us but thank you that we can remember over and over again that you sit at the table with us and that your son died for us amen When is the first Thanksgiving sermon I have preached?